other new areas like the digital economy. President Xi was talking last week about uh, the digital economy and 5G connectivity and data. Could that become a big driver of economic growth going forward? Oh, it's all on the supply side, the productivity side. You, you, you now, if you're successful, you make the economy more more productive. But, but, but what about uh, the demand side? And you need to give people more income. Mm. So, so in China now, it's mostly about the government. The government, right? The government consumes fifteen percent of GDP, and then most investment, which is about half of the economy, is done by the government. Mm. So the Chinese economy on the demand side is part of the government. Okay, well, look, sadly we've run out of time, Andy, but thank you very much. And, of course, we'll be watching that data uh, closely later on this morning. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. First of all, down in Australia, uh, the ASX uh, 200 up 0.1%. Over in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is up 0.8%. Cosby in South Korea is down about 0.6%. Uh, and in Hong Kong, it looks like a rally of about 80 points or so at the open for the Hang Seng. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil trading at $86.53 a barrel. And gold is trading right now at $1,815 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Back chat's coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, cool in the morning, sunny periods during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be around 21 degrees and then cool with one or two rain patches tomorrow. Uh, temperature right now is 18 degrees, 83% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Andy Shrosky with the half-hour news. The Center for Health Protection has warned that the Delta variant of COVID appears to be spreading in Hong Kong on top of recently reported Omicron cases. Officials said a 23-year-old woman has tested preliminary positive for the L452R mutant strain. She works at the Little Boss Pet Shop in Causeway Bay and had hot pot with friends in Yamate. The woman also stayed at a hotel in Wan Chai before she contracted the virus. Here's the center's Dr. Chuang Shuk Kwan. There may be Delta strain circulating. So it is not only restricted to the Omicron uh, cases we uh, detected recently. So, of course, um, we are very worried whether there are other sources of infection that has not been um, detected. And as for the sources of infection, we are still investigating. The woman lives in Aberdeen and her building was put under overnight lockdown. Health officials say they tested about 55 residents at 2 to 4 Dungsing Road in Aberdeen, but there were no positive cases. New Zealand has sent an Air Force plane to the Pacific Island nation of Tonga to assess the damage caused by a volcanic eruption and tsunami. Communication links are mostly down. Australia said there are no signs of mass casualties. The International Red Cross says it fears large-scale devastation and is preparing relief operations for people who may lack drinking water or shelter. Here's Katie Greenwood of the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies in Fiji. International Red Cross has urgently been trying to re-establish communication with our Red Cross teams on the ground for about 24 hours now. We do know that there has been some significant damage in the northern shore of the main island in Tonga. We are very keen to hear from the low-lying and outer atolls within Tonga itself closer to the eruption site, and we have not been able to establish that contact. 
President Biden has called Saturday's hostage standoff in Texas an act of terror. Four people escaped unharmed after they were held for several hours in a synagogue in a Dallas suburb. The FBI has identified the hostage taker who died during the siege as a British citizen named Malik Faisal Akram. The BBC's Sophie Yardley has more. It's thought Malik Faisal Akram arrived in the U.S. via New York's JFK airport two weeks ago and wasn't thought to be on any terror watch lists. He interrupted a morning service at the synagogue in Colleyville on Saturday morning and died after a 10-hour standoff with police during which explosions and gunfire could be heard. All of the hostages were freed unharmed. A brother of the attacker issued a statement apologising to the victims and saying he'd been suffering from mental health issues. Join us at 9 o'clock for more news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat with Mike Rouse and me, Janice Wong. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Janice. Today we're talking about the response to the latest anti-epidemic fund and new woes for Prince Andrew. The government has announced a $3.57 billion COVID relief package aimed at helping businesses and individuals hit by the latest social distancing restrictions that will remain in place into Chinese New Year. But many businesses are complaining that this isn't nearly enough to offset the huge losses they'll incur in this traditionally lucrative period while lawmakers are also calling for another round of consumption vouchers for all. What do you think about the government package? Is it adequate? Or has the administration given enough to businesses already? After 9.15am, we'll talk about British royal Prince Andrew. After he was stripped of military titles and royal patronages as he faces a civil sex abuse case in the United States. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page. Back chat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or why not just give us a call on 23388266. Now to uh, kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Simon Wong, the chairman of the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. And in our Admiralty studio, we have Chris B, the founder of the Musicians Foundation and the Underground. Good morning to the both of you. Morning. Morning. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Um, let's start with you, Mr. Wong. Um, how would you describe this latest round of subsidies? Well, the latest round of subsidy, of course, is uh, far not enough to save the uh, affected industries. Uh, the three point five seven billion uh, rollout of the uh, relief program uh, has to be dispersed uh, amongst. Um, well, quite a number of uh, different industries. And uh, I estimated that um, for the catering industry, uh, we might be able to get around, um, well, uh, probably 1.5 billion. And uh, well, with this uh, amount of money, it might just be enough to pay the rent, uh, but not enough to pay uh, for the salaries and other expenses. Um, so uh, we are hoping that the government would roll out more relief fund. Um, if uh, the 3.57 billion uh, dollars, uh, well, it's not enough. They have to uh, ask for the, um, you know, the more funding from the electrical. Um, that's what we are requesting. Mr. Wong, good morning. The, good morning, Mike. Yeah, the idea of 
restricting access to restaurants to the fully vaccinated was first mooted many months ago, wouldn't it have been better to take the hit then? Well, um, well, to me, I uh, have been uh, well requesting the government to roll out the uh, vaccine bubble as soon as possible. Um, at the moment, uh, there are uh, more than 75% of the population uh, have already got the jabs. And uh, even for the second dosage, um, well, more than 70% of the people have already got, got it. So I think this is, uh, you know, uh, the, the right time uh, to roll out uh, the vaccine bubble so that uh, only those who has got the vaccinations uh, can enter premises such as uh, uh, restaurants and um, other uh, listed uh, premises uh, mentioned by the government. Right. Um, and even uh, for some premises, uh, if not uh, listed by the government, they, they should also follow this uh, scheme. Absolutely. Uh, we should make a list of all the things that people like to do and make them... <laughs> you OK, you like to go to the gym? Vaccination. You like <laughs> to go to watch the horse racing at Happy Valley? Vaccination. You like to go to the restaurant for your dim sum? Yes. Vaccination, vaccination, vaccination. We didn't do this. As soon as people squawk, oh, you know, I don't want to get vaccinated, I should be given an exemption. The restaurants mm -hmm. did complain a lot. Oh, if you restrict entry only to the vaccinated, we'll lose business. But you're really losing business now, aren't you? Uh, well, if uh, well, at this moment, of course, uh, we are losing business now. Yes. Um, we are losing one point, uh, well, 150 billion uh, turnover per day uh, since January 7th. So if the um, well, restriction continues and uh, will be extended until February 3rd, um, well, totally, uh, there will be well, uh, about uh, 4 billion uh, right. turnover being uh, lost. Uh, how many restaurants are we going to lose? Well, it's hard to say. Uh, the worst time uh, for the past two years, we have lost about uh, 2,500 restaurants. Uh, but afterwards, uh, there are many small restaurants coming out. Um, well, if, if we compare the number of restaurants uh, before COVID, uh, actually the number of restaurants has uh, even more than uh, well during uh, the COVID time. So, uh, it, but um, in terms of the unemployment, when we see that uh, one uh, big restaurant which employs about fifty people or more. For some Chinese restaurants, on average, they um, employ about uh, 100 or more uh, staff. Uh, but then for the smaller restaurants, you know, we only employ about three or four, you know, few people. And uh, that's why we see that the unemployment um, rate in our industry are so high. Um, so, uh, but the... You know, talking about the vaccination, uh, of course, like um, if we have 75% of the population um, have already, already been uh, uh, vaccinated, then uh, only 25% of the people 
um, they well, if they want to eat, uh, they might have to call the delivery platforms or uh, they cook at home. Um, and still, we have seventy-five percent of the population going into the uh, restaurants. You know, this is uh, much better than right now because we are um, <laughs> being locked down uh, after six p.m. Yes. We cannot uh, have uh, dining services. So this is more, um, you know, uh, as bad for us. All right, uh, Mr. Wong. Let's uh, let's go over to uh, Crispy and uh, see what the situation like is. What the situation is like uh, uh, in her industry, um, Crispy. So, uh, what's the current situation like for musicians and uh, freelance performers? Um, well, yeah, uh, they just can't work at the moment. Um, I mean, the I remember months ago, last year, early last year, when the vaccinations started being talked about. And um, all the musicians that I know and freelancers were very willing to get vaccinated so they could go back to work, right? Just leading on from Simon. Um, and so this time with the government going, we have to close all live entertainment, live music, you know, theatre, anything. Nothing's come out of the creative industry. They haven't done anything wrong. They've done everything right. They've worn masks while performing. They're vaccinated. The venues that they work in are very strict with the Leave Home Safe app and everything. But they're being punished and doubly punished because these freelancers are left out of this epidemic fund because many of them don't work in government venues. So even if they pay tax, <laughs> even if they bring happiness and joy um, into people's lives and um, they're just forgotten they're just like because the government's already said this fifth um, funding is based on the fourth funding and the fourth funding didn't have anything for freelancers but neither did the third second or the first like for the ones independent mm. of the government that don't work in LCSD venues etc what so. can be done to help you um, I think the best thing is to let them go back to work. I think all this funding nonsense is, um, <laughs> is you know, it's people want to work. None of these people are sitting here going, give me some money. They just want to go back to work and get on with life, right? So um, I thought it was an interesting point about the, the, the restaurants, you know. We've all been discussing how closing a restaurant from from you know stopping yourself from being able to go to a restaurant from six o'clock onwards does that mean the it's more contagious at night um yes that, that was a question actually asked by the financial times last week <laughs> is the virus nocturnal yes like an owl it only comes yeah. out at night yeah and and like i was just reading in the paper right so they they're shutting down the chinese new year markets right um the so everyone's going to the flower market in mong kok you can't stop people from you know and and you like sometimes i go hiking right normally there's a you know there's people about but now that they can't go to the gym or playgrounds they're all hiking and it's packed <laughs> it's <laughs> Right. So I don't know <laughs> if that's going to stop the spread. But All right, uh, Crispy, I just have to <laughs> cut you off there just for a moment. Because oh, go I back know, to the creative, Because right? I know, I know um, <laughs> um, uh, Mr. Wong, he will have to rush off very soon. So okay, I just sure. want to um, ask uh, Mr. Wong one, one more question. I know yes. some, some lawmakers, they have called on the government to introduce another round of consumption vouchers of up to uh, $10,000 to each resident. Uh, do you think that would uh, help the catering sector much? Well, um, 
in some way it would help uh, their whole um, well different type of industries, not uh, just for the uh, catering industry. Um, but then, uh, we, as uh, Christy just uh, mentioned, you know, uh, our industry also need uh, to open up our business. You know, the, our employees wants to work. You know, we we don't just want to you know the, uh, hand out our you know uh, ask ask for for the subsidies from the government. Uh, we want uh, our work. We want the normal living. You know, just like uh, before uh, January six. Uh, you know, we have been doing quite well um, in uh, all, well following all the instructions imposed by the government. Uh, but still, we are the industry being punished. Well, this is not right. All right, so Mr. Wong, I know you have to go. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Simon Wong, the chairman of the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. So let's go back to you, Crispy. What do you think of uh, another round of consumption vouchers? Would that be useful? Uh, well, yeah, useful, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, useful, but um, but yeah, this is. I mean, uh, so many industries, right? We the music, the theatre, the dance, the drama, the plays. But this is the people you see in it. You also don't see the other people behind it, the event organisers, the production coordinators, the lighting, the engineers, right? And then the venues that do these events are shut as well. So we're talking maybe. 20,000 people I'm just yeah right based on like there's maybe 10,000 creative people that you see but you don't see the people behind them and for right. every actor or musician there's more people behind them S right? someone doing the scenery yeah yeah exactly and it's it's I mean to be honest we had two years right um, between when COVID started to July last year where there's 16 months for 16 months these people couldn't work right so a lot of them did manage to find food delivery um career jobs um and but a lot of them couldn't like uh, for, for many reasons because other industries were also competing for these meager jobs right so it's uh, i you know there was a high le um, and there still is high level of mental stress illness um, and actually, it was it was good, as Simon said, in the last six months before January the 6th, people were going, you know, people were doing events and stuff. And and then, you know, all of a sudden the government cancels. So events, you know, that you know, stages that were built that were meant to have shows from January the 6th to like February the 3rd now have to be cancelled. And there's money lost there. And if they're not government events, the money is gone, right? So... <laughs> Do you know um, how much, approximately, how much money that involves? No, we we really should take an estimate of of that. Yeah, but it's uh, what did someone say from the film industry? Um, no, I don't have it on me, but um, a lot of know, money. Do you know? Do you know how many freelancers won't benefit from this round of subsidies? Oh, at least ten thousand. Like, and we're talking about the actual actors, uh, musicians. Um, yeah concerts yeah so, so what have they been doing like it <laughs> like i said moving to deliveroo and yeah moving to deliveroo a lot of them use their savings right uh, borrowed money a lot of people are in debt um and they've been happily paying that debt back um from july to january right um so it was just a real shock it's very sudden and when you look at the clusters that they were talking about in january none of them involved music 
I mean, yeah, there was... <laughs> we won't talk about that dance one, but... Uh, uh, well, all the overnight freezing ones seem yes. to produce no new cases. <laughs> I, I don't remember a single one. No. It's produced a case in the morning. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, um, let's uh, bring in another guest, uh, Vera Yoon, a lecturer for business and economics at the University of Hong Kong. And good morning. Good morning. And uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, I remember speaking to you last week about uh, what we might expect in the latest round of uh, anti-epidemic fund. And uh, what was actually announced on Friday was uh, quite different from what you expected, right? I mean, the figure to many people was not that big and uh, there's no employment support scheme. So what do you think of it? No, I think it's the same as what I suggested. That is to help the sectors that were directly impacted by um, this round of um, anti-COVID measures and then um, the money, I mean, it's just similar to the last round. It mainly goes to the premises, the business, but not the workers um, because it's the way that they did it and it would be the quickest in terms of administration. So this time it, it's kind of the same. But you did expect an employment support scheme. Um... No, I mean, to support them, it's either by giving out money directly to everybody in Hong Kong, or, um, I mean, nowadays, um, well, there are existing um, social assistance programs. The CSSA has a category called unemployment, and it means tested. But other than that, there wasn't, and I, I did not expect an employment support scheme, actually. Okay, and um, earlier we did talk about uh, the uh, calls for another round of uh, consumption vouchers. Um, would that? Would you think that would uh, be useful right now? Um, I think everybody would be happy if the government gives some money in in consumption vouchers or in whatever um, way, like cash. It, it would be good um, because in order to benefit the workers that will. Impacted this. I think this is one of the ways. Um, other than that, it's, it's kind of hard to target them right. because you know some of them are part time. They may not have contract with the companies anyway, so they cannot prove that they were employed before. So right. anyway, in uh, in other ways, it there would be loopholes. So it's, it's an indirect it's like way. Only by yeah. giving out money to everybody that you can cover everything. Can we can we limit the handout if there is one to the vaccinated this time? That was an opportunity missed last time, wasn't it? Uh, um, well, that may create, I don't know, discrimination. I'm not yes. sure about whether it's a good thing to do. Let's discriminate in favour of the vaccinated. And yeah, say to the unvaccinated, you've got to help out Because here. of health issues, etc. How are we going to get the percentage up? What other ways? Um... Well, I am not sure whether it's a good way to force people to be vaccinated. Um, well, there are more uh, stringent ways. I think, you know, nowadays um, the worst um, groups that are not vaccinated are the elderly. Yes. And then there are a lot to do with it. Like some figure out that they couldn't go to the um, Chinese restaurant and then they say, okay then because of that they would will start to vaccinate and because of Omicron um, it's kind of more contagious so it, it also makes them 
like want to vaccinate more. But I think for like workers, many of us, like we have the majority being vaccinated already. So it's more about the elderly homes and and promotion to the elderly. And uh, Crispy, um, earlier you're talking about uh, how many freelancers they have been uh, forced to uh, switch to other jobs. Um, if this uh, continues, if this uh, COVID pandemic continues the way it is, um, how, what sort of impact do you think it will have on Hong Kong's uh, creative industry? Um, well, <laughs> huge, right? I mean, yeah, it's some people. I mean, I know of people who've had to leave Hong Kong just because, like, be- before. July last year, just because they couldn't find other things to do. But these are people who might have homes in other places and that opportunity, right? If you're from here, born here, live here, and you don't have the means to move to the UK or something or Canada, then, yeah, you. I mean, um, what was it? There used to be 2,000 people working in like lighting, technician, sound engineering. There's now 1,400 right they've either switched industries or left hong kong because because if you've got a family to feed you have a family to feed right um so yeah it's 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 really tough it's yeah and and a lot of people it, perhaps in the government um uh don't value creativity when it's not based in a government venue <laughs> it's like miss yun i i got to come back to you big picture is is zero COVID sustainable? Um, well, I am not an expert in this, but according to Professor Gabriel Learn of the Hong Kong U Medical School, he said no. What, we can sustain it? No, um, no, it cannot be sustained, according to Professor Gabriel right, right. Learn, of, um, which, who is the dean of the Hong Kong U Medical School, but I according him, yes. to the... Um, head of the um, bureau, um, Sophia Chen, she said yes. So, is it time for us to learn to live with it? Um, I think it depends on um, the virus itself, because it's about how much harm it does to our health. If it is actually like a flu, after all then the trade-off between pandemic control and economic recovery i mean even if our preference to it um unchanged um and because it does not do that much harm to our health there should be more um economic activity and less constraint for example professor gabriel learn of the hong kong medical school already said maybe there could be an early run of um um evening opening for um, catering restaurant that means he suggested it's actually okay not to be that strict for this run of the virus however in Europe they kind of have the new um, mutant uh, not mutant uh, um, variant of the virus called um, Delmicron which is a combination of Delta and Omicron and Omicron is contagious, Delta is more harmful because it gets into your lungs. Right. So we are not sure about like for the new variant of the virus, like how much harm it does to our health. So I think that is the concern. But for Omicron itself, um, I think they should give let us know um, for the numbers of people who already confirmed, like how much of them went to the ICU, how much of them actually are okay in just a few. 
All I right. mean, they they should um, be open about the numbers so that we can judge whether um, we should be less restrictive in our activities. And of course, Crispy, because um, I know you're finishing at nine. Uh, giving people consumption vouchers is an indirect way of reaching uh, those who are not employed, but it doesn't open the venue. They, they still can't work. No, no, and exactly, and and that's all. I mean, if we open the venue, right? I uh, the. It was mentioned that it says 75% of people are vaccinated, right? If you are vaccinated and you feel safe and you want to go to a live music event, then it's your choice, right? It's the musician's choice to perform. If the musician feels, I've got health issues, I don't want to be in crowds, he or she doesn't have to perform. But the choice is taken away from us, right? I mean, a lot of people, if they decide they're ill or they've got a cold, they're not going to go to work. They're not going to go to the office. They're not going to go to the cinema, blah, 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 or school. But now we don't even have that choice. And I think, and something we noticed like um, t uh, a couple of days ago, there were like 47 people with um, with positive, right? Then you looked at the people that were linked to them. 4,700 were in quarantine rights and <laughs> and it's like um, I, I, that is putting pressure on the hospitals and on people in a very different way like so people don't want anyway I'm, I'm rambling but i just think the government should just let them open force them to have leave home safe app you have to be vaccinated i'm i'm with you there mike all um, right um crispy um we'll have yeah. to take a short break for the news summary thanks okay. again yeah, to uh, thank crispy you. for joining us on the program this morning crispy is the founder of the musicians foundation and the underground and uh, miss yoon we can continue our discussion after the news when we'll also be joined by kenneth falk lawmaker representing the sports performing arts culture and publication sector and uh, now uh just a quick look at the weather. Mainly cloudy, sunny intervals later with a top temperature of around 21 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh easterlies, becoming northeasterlies. Uh, right now, the temperature is 18 degrees, relative humidity 82%. Hey. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Janice Wong. We're talking about the latest anti-epidemic fund. If you want to ask questions or share your views, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Back Chat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or just give us a call on 23388266. Still with us on the program is Vera Yoon, a business and economics lecturer from the University of Hong Kong. Also joining us now is Kenneth Falk, lawmaker representing the sports, performing arts, culture and publication sector. Good morning, Mr. Falk. Good morning, Janice. Good thanks morning, for, everyone. Thanks morning, for joining Gara. us on the uh, back, on back chat. Um, in Thank the first you. half of the program, we spoke to a representative from the catering sector and also a musician representing uh, many freelance performers. And um, they didn't seem to be too impressed by the latest round of subsidies. Um, Mr. Falk, what has been the reaction from people in the sector that you represent? No, I think um, for the sectors I represent, mainly, you know, um, you mentioned musicians, but also, you know, uh, like uh, fitness centers and also, you know, coaches and also theaters and drama. I think um, in general, we are quite disappointed because, you know, we actually, this is the fifth round of the pandemic fund and we've had this conversation for the past four rounds. You know, we've given our views. We have uh, quite strong views about it. A lot of uh, people from our sectors are freelance workers and they were not covered by, you know, um, many, the many rounds of Atlantic Fund. And, you know, I understand the uh, Carrie Lam's uh, position 
hoping that this round of the pandemic fund can be distributed quickly, and that's her justification for you know um, using the 4.0 as a as a as a blueprint. But it really doesn't address the specific issues or specific problems that our you know our stakeholders really face. And and this you know we've we've many on many occasions given you know suggestions on how to improve. Right. On how to help us, so I think that, that, that that's the general reaction. It's, it seems to me, Mr. Fox. Good morning. It seems morning. to me that it, it go, by shoveling out in the same way, that the landlords will be protected because restaurant uh, operators will want to keep the premises where they've sunk yes. their investment, but the employees yes. are not getting anything. So who's getting the money? It it will be the uh, landlords. Well, um, you, you see the same theme um, occurring throughout the different measures. I think not just myself. You know, if you, if, you, um, if you listen to the finance committee meeting during last Friday, a lot of my colleagues also mentioned the same thing. You know, it seems that it's easier for the government to deal with the, the, um, the landlords or, or, or business owners than to the individuals. Right. But the question comes, does the money actually translate into uh, the hands of the average worker? Some do, some do. You know, we, we've seen some restaurateurs actually distributing, but but that's based on their business practices. So this is actually an issue that we we, we face. How do we help the working people and and, and the independent? You know, the the, the 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 one suggestions we make is actually really to do a thorough investigation for my for 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 myself, for example. You know, the government has to clearly know. Who are the coaches in our sports sector? Who are the musicians? Who are the artists to, um, uh, in, in the industry contributing to the industry, not just drawing a straight line, whether or you're just accredited by this association or you have MPF. As I mentioned, the first thing is that a lot of us are freelance workers, and we've got to understand, especially the young, <coughs> the young people of Hong Kong, a lot of people now are slashers, right, if you mentioned. They don't just hold one job. They, they, they need to have multiple jobs. Maybe at daytime they're doing one thing, and evening they're guitar, uh, their guitar coach or, or their fitness coach, for example, they do in the weekend. And these people, they, 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 they need different income to sustain their, their lifestyle. So the government really needs to, if we're viewing this pandemic as a long-term issue, which a lot of countries are, and a lot of cities are, we need to know who are the stakeholders in each uh, each each uh, industry? You know, I've heard uh, some artists in in Hong Kong say, "Oh my God, um, I I've been in this industry. I've been contributing to Hong Kong's cultural scene for the past 20 years." But uh, when it comes to the pandemic fund, you know, the government don't see me as one of the stakeholders. They don't see me as a as a person in the cultural industry. So so this is really you know instead of just following the previous. Um, um, the previous academic fund or, or the previous way of doing it, I hope the government can you know, reach out and listen more to what we have to contribute. All right, uh, Mr. Falk, I have an email here. Maybe I'm not sure if you can help answer his question, but I'll just read it out. It's from Colin. Um, he says, horse racing is allowed to continue while other sports cannot, Many, mainly due to horse race owners being rich and famous. Why is one of the leading trainers allowed to go unvaccinated? I'm not sure. Do you have a response there, Mr. Falk? Well, I don't. Have, I don't think I've, I don't know which uh, 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 trainers are you are you talking about. But uh, I think they operate under a bubble. The um, the the the, uh, the uh, horse racing in Hong Kong, and I, uh, maybe uh, 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 the the 
the tax related to horse racing is also a consideration, but I'm not sure if this is a perfect answer. All right, thank you. Uh, and um, yeah. Mr. Falker, some of your colleagues in Lajko have been calling for another round of uh, consumption vouchers. Um, is that something you support? Consumption voucher? Yeah, I think a lot of people are mentioning about consumption voucher, and, and it's something that um, I, I support as well. And secondly, I, I, I mentioned one of my colleagues uh, mentioned that uh, the consumption voucher can also be uh, viewed as an investment. You know, I've been also pushing for uh, consumption voucher on uh, sports and culture. You know, and uh, moving forward, um, the government always mentioned about the industrialization or, or the, the commercialization of sports and culture as well. So I think in this lens, uh, I think, you know, uh, putting directive measures such as consumption voucher on a specific sector may also be a good idea and to 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 kickstart or to 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 uh, move forward a, a a a commercialization of sports and culture in hong kong so i think um, i i echo a lot of views from my colleagues uh, asking for consumption culture and and we look at the end result it's actually uh, quite um positive to the you know the the, the economy of hong kong so so something that i think is worth uh, mentioning in the next uh, policy on the next uh, financial uh, budget. Ms. Yoon, um, Hong Kong residents are, are currently um, entitled to $5,000 worth of uh, e-vouchers to spend locally to, to help accelerate Hong Kong's econ- economy's uh, recovery. Um, how useful has that been so far? Well, I think in the long run, the substitution effect, so it may not be that different. But in the short run, it's like people get getting excited about that and try to spend some to buy some items that they wanted to buy for a long time, but uh, they couldn't. So it's more about, um, yeah, I think there's some effect in, in that short run. Um, but it may not be as useful because um, if people already buy some durables the last round, then this round they could save it up until later to use. But then I would like to point out that um, I think for this round of any epidemic fund for freelancers and practitioners, they have a one-off subsidy of five thousand dollars. And if they teach classes in welfare organizations or schools, they also have five thousand one-off subsidy. So I'm not sure why they're saying that they they got no help at all. Um, and also because they are slashes, as uh, Mr. Fox said, which means um, the total income has not been wiped off totally because they can still teach like one-to-one like piano or bowing classes in in other places even if these stand-up classes will being um suspended so um i'm i cannot totally agree that those individuals do not receive any help from the government i think that they were saying that they got help if they were performing in a government venue it was easy um if it says um yeah eligible individual arts practitioner and freelancers. Mr. Falk, what's your understanding? I mean, uh, it's... Yes, second, I think I've got two points. I think that, that, that's, exactly, that's exactly your point. A lot of uh, art practitioners, they don't actually... Um, uh, they, they work individually. So I think at the moment, the, the help... I, 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 I partly agree in that, you know, um, we, uh, some of the practitioners do get help. But it's the condition that they, they, uh, they are under, for example, Arts Development Council funding. So they, they have kind of uh, under, they were supported by government funds. But for other people who don't actually get government funding and who are practitioners, they don't get covered. That's one thing. And secondly, I think, I think what I've been also saying is I hope the government can understand the uniqueness of our industry. 
So I think um, when Carrie Lam, when the CEO mentioned why 5,000, and she uh, highlighted that time has to be taken into consideration. So previously it was shut for, say, 100 days. Now it's uh, four weeks. So that's why the amount is less. I understand her logic. But, for example, I've heard a lot of people in drama. They only get paid during performances. So when the performance is shut, they don't get paid at all. But it doesn't take into account of the rehearsal time and also the training time. Uh, beforehand, and you have to understand they don't get paid during that time. So we're seeing that a lot, not just on stage performance, but also for schools, for example. Mm. Uh, a lot of these, uh, say, for example, ICAC, they commission drama groups to go into schools to perform, but they only get paid per per performance. So when schools are shut and when uh, everything is shut, they don't get paid, but they've probably spent three weeks, uh, three months, four months rehearsing right. and getting everything ready. So this is something that we've got to think in consideration as well, not just for two weeks. A point made in the first half of the show by a performer uh, <laughs> yeah. was that uh, it, it should be more free. The virus doesn't only operate at night. It, it operates all day. So in principle, there's no difference between breakfast, lunch and dinner. But we, we sort of close at six as a kind of... It looks like an effort to present to the public that we're doing something rather than yes. and and the point she was suggesting was if you have proper uh, entry you vaccinated the staff you employ all the safeguards that the government and the doctors uh, recommend it should be a free choice to musicians whether to perform and a free choice to members of the audience whether they turn up or not mm, yes, yes well i think this is something that government has to uh, has to investigate in the future because now we are the fifth round, and and with Omicron, uh, I mean, being so infectious, I think I think this is a serious topic that they have to discuss. And especially with uh, you mentioned in the early half, you talked to a representative from from F and B, and every every time it seems that F and B and cultural and sports they're the first venues to to be shut down every time there's any confirmed case. So uh, I mean, uh, stakeholders from our industry always feel that we are unfairly being punished for for whatever reason i'm not going to go into the issue of who caused this round but but i think we have i think one thing i have to say is that we have been always compliant to every government demand whether it's vaccination whether it's mass whether 75 percent but every time when when things happen or they, uh, when this uh, the virus hits then we always get uh, the first round of punishment so to speak so mm. so I, I think the government has to really evaluate it their 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 stance and how to how to deal with this in i mean everything is a balance I, I i guess but how to balance it and and also you know care for people in our uh, constituency all right i have another email here i'm not sure if uh, um and uh, you or or miss you would like to comment um this one is uh, it says that uh, dear back charge i am a small business employer and i have one young member of staff who adamantly refuses to get vaccinated not for health reasons that just as a point of principle and uh, to make a political point against the government all my other employees are vaccinated and cannot understand this selfish point of view if this employee gets omicron and then asks for two to three weeks sick leave i'm able under the law ordinance to uh, refuse any payment of sick leave that's his question and i have another message on our facebook page it says uh, dear back chat why has the government taken so long to roll out the subsidies following the restriction notices for january the 7th 
In early 2020, we could accept that it would take time to get organized, although large leading Western economies acted far more quickly than Hong Kong. Today, the government should have been fully prepared and ready to hit the button when the restrictions were announced. And uh, that uh, message is from Anthony, who is a manager at a beauty centre. So, uh, Mr. Falk or, or Ms. Yun, what do you, any, any comments on, on those uh, messages? I think the employer has the freedom to, I mean, not hire the worker. Uh, he has the freedom not to do so, but he wants to keep the worker. That's his problem. Okay. And, I mean, there are a lot of people who are in the market trying to look for jobs. Why not? So you can give him notice to and quit. You, yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, employers in Hong Kong they are not being punished if they um, fire anyone who are unwilling to vaccinate it. All right, Mr. Falk. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, I, I think the issue now you see is actually the the whole trend or the society is moving towards vaccination. I think not just in Hong Kong but worldwide, right? Actually, Hong Kong has already taken quite a free stance, in, even compared to a lot of uh, other countries. You see a lot of. Western countries, they are mandating vaccination, even for work. So I think this is the general trend. So I think uh, uh, put, uh, I would encourage people to put political views or making a stance against vaccination aside and think of the greater good of the society because everyone has to live with it. And we see the detrimental effect of, 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 of the, the new wave. So, so you know, I would re- really recommend everyone get vaccinated when they can. And the vaccine bubble is going to be extended in after Chinese New Year. This is inevitable. And, you know, I've been working hard to, you know, persuade and also work with my constituency to, you know, to, to try to to work with the vaccination bubble coming forward. All right, uh, Mr. Falk, we'll have to yeah. leave it there for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's uh, Kenneth Falk, the lawmaker representing the sports, performing arts, culture and publications sector. Also, many thanks to Vera Yun, a business and economics lecturer at the University of Hong Kong. Um, it's now 18 minutes past nine and it's time for our second topic today. And that's uh, on British royal and Prince Andrew, who has had his military titles and royal patronages stripped as he faces a civil sex abuse case in the United States. Um, to comment, we're now joined on the line by Nicholas Tam, a live member and spokesperson for the Australian Monarchist League. Good morning, Mr. Tam. Good morning. Good to be with you. Thanks for joining us on the programme. Um, so, was the move by the Queen expected? Oh, look, I think it was. And I'd have to say it's an entirely wise decision from the world's most experienced living constitutional monarch, one that puts the public interest first above any uh, personal interest or family affection she might feel for her son because uh, whilst uh, the Duke of York is entitled to you know, the presumption of innocence and a fair trial and the same rights as any other individual um, subject to a litigation process, uh, obviously those uh, allegations are rather unsavoury and whilst they may remain unresolved, it's entirely appropriate that uh, he not be using his royal titles and he not be uh, discharging uh, any royal duties. Right. He, he still remains a duke, I think, doesn't he? He's, well, uh, yes, I think he does. He's I lost HRH and he's lost Prince, but he's still a duke. Yes. I mean, I think that's a little bit different. I mean, there are plenty of, uh, you know, dukes who are not members of the royal family. Um, right. But uh, the, the ones that I think are sort of easy to remove have been done, and certainly he's not going to be representing the Queen or, or the state in any formal occasions. I think that's entirely appropriate. Of course, he could go to America and face trial, couldn't he? Well, I, I think it's, it's too 
too early to tell what will actually happen with that trial. My understanding is that uh, um, you know there's been some you know early interlocutory skirmishes, and it looks like there will be uh, further hearings at some point in the future. But when exactly that's going to be, uh, I don't think uh, anyone is really entirely sure about that as yet. Because there's a civil angle and also a criminal angle. Although it is, it is the civil uh, angle that I think has been in the, the headlines recently, right. um, rather, than, rather than the criminal one. But obviously uh, what happens with that process, we'll have to wait and see what happens with the courts. And uh, Mr. Sam, I, I know um, some analysts, um, they've described the move by the Queen as uh, brutal, and as some said it was inevitable. How would you describe it? I think it was wise. Uh, I don't think uh, any other decision would have been uh, palatable, really. Um, now, of course, when you're removing uh, titles from uh, one of your own family members, I'm sure at a personal level that may have been uh, perhaps uncomfortable for the Queen personally, but the, the Queen has to put the public interest first. That's her job as a, a constitutional monarch, and that's exactly what she's done. And this, uh, despite this move by the Queen, would you say there's still uh, quite a lot of potential for the, for the um, case involving uh, Prince Andrew to taint the uh, royal family overall? Look, uh, I don't think so. I think quite the contrary. Uh, people can see from this decision that the Queen has uh, actually enforced uh, a standard uh, that in the royal family in taking this decision. It's a, quite a refreshing contrast to the way in which uh, the elected politicians have so debased uh, the Westminster principle of ministerial accountability in recent years that we seem to be no longer surprised when cabinet ministers refuse to resign in the face of even the most overwhelming evidence of scandal or some form of misconduct that instead respond with obfuscation or intransigence. I think people will be very happy to see some form of accountability being imposed and a standard being enforced. And they see that the royal family is doing exactly that, but uh, the elected political class don't seem to be doing the same. Right. Well, I think that's a fair comment on the political class, which seems to have given up uh, all principle in the UK anyway. But uh, earlier you said that the Queen's decision was protecting the public interest. It's, it really surely is protecting the monarchy more than the general public. Well, there's, there's a public interest in the monarchy upholding a high standard of integrity. And, and I think there's a public interest in the monarchy continuing as an institution, which is very important to the, the functioning of governance and democracy uh, in Australia, in the UK, and in the other uh, countries which have... Uh, the Queen as their constitutional monarchist right. sovereign. It's a public interest if the public is monarchist or appreciates Absolutely. the monarchy. Think, well, well, precisely. I think a move to uh, any other form of uh, governance, at least from an Australian perspective, would be uh, uh, highly detrimental to uh, the functioning of our democracy overall. Yes, I mean, Boris Johnson is not actually a good advertisement for republicanism, is he? <laughs> not at all. Well, I mean... I think as one analyst put it uh, that I saw the other day when the Queen was sitting alone at the chapel for Prince Philip's funeral right. uh, by herself to abide by the social distancing regulations, uh, Boris Johnson was uh, partying at Downing Street. Yes, boozing uh, in the garden. I think we all know what Matt, Matt Hancock was up to as the health secretary as well and some of the other advisers too. Yeah, I, I've got to confess, uh, Mr Tamworth, I, I haven't been British for 20 years, but even when I was British... I was a Republican with a small R. But I must say that shot of the Queen sitting silently in the chapel by herself was, was very impressive. 
uh, compared to all the tawdry stuff coming out of number 10. Yes, I, I'd agree with that uh, entirely. It's one of the, the virtues of the system. Uh, there was a referendum, wasn't there, on whether to keep the monarchy in Australia. I think that was won by the monarchists. Were you involved in that at all? Uh, not really. I think I would have been about eight or nine years old at the time <laughs> of that referendum. But that was uh, okay, we'll let 20, you off. <laughs> 23 years ago. So uh, I can't claim any particular um, credit uh, for that result. But you're right in saying there was a referendum uh, in 1999 and uh, it failed. All six states voted uh, for the status quo and 72% uh, of the constituencies returned a no vote. So you ended up with a national majority on the raw gross votes of about 55 or so percent, which in a, a, a traditional two-party uh, democracy is a, a landslide margin. I don't think we've had a federal election where uh, either party has ever recorded such a substantial majority. The Queen herself seems to earn a lot of respect, even from Republicans with a small R. Do you think that can continue uh, after she passes? I, I think each individual monarch you know, would have to be judged on their own merits. And there's no doubt that uh, at some point in the future, um, you know, Pr Prince Charles would have his own style and uh, I I'm sure, you know, he'd have his own approach to it. But I have no reason to believe that uh, he wouldn't do a good job. And I think over time, I'm sure he would win, uh, you know, respect from the public as well, as, as he has done to a certain degree uh, already with some of his initiatives on... Um, you know, on the non-profit front, his uh, Prince's Trust is uh, one charitable organisation that he's responsible for that uh, does a lot of good. And uh, at a more micro level, I think his uh, commentary on the state of modern architecture is uh, rather accurate and insightful. You, I think you, we should have more neoclassical architecture, not less. You don't see it as a bit disjointed to have an adulterer as the head of the Church of England? Well, I, I think obviously those uh, those issues are, are well known, and uh, you know I think people have you know kind of you know they they all they all acknowledge that, um, and that's really a matter for the Anglican Church rather than the uh, the monarchy itself. But he he will ex officio be the head of the Anglican Church, won't he? Well, in an official sense, he would be. But I think the Anglican Church probably has a lot bigger problems than the question of uh, uh, who the head of it is. All right, uh, let's go back to uh, Prince Andrew. I mean, earlier you talked about uh, um, how it's a wise decision by the Queen. Um, how damaging do you think the move by the Queen uh, will have on the Prince Andrew's reputation? Well, I, I think whatever damage was done to the reputation was, was done by the... Uh, you know, the media coverage, you know, beforehand. I don't think the decision from the Queen is going to, you know, worsen his reputation per se. Uh, if anything, you know, it, it's probably an acknowledgement that, uh, you know, that, that a price didn't need to be paid and uh, it, it was no longer appropriate for him to be, you know, carrying out any form of uh, uh, public duties for the Crown and he'll, he'll have to do something else with his time. And, uh, I mean, I guess the priority now is, I mean, from the uh, royal family's view, is to uh, settle this case as uh, soon as possible. Um, what do you expect to happen in the next uh, few months? I mean, do you think the royal family will try to uh, switch the focus to perhaps uh, the uh, Platinum Jubilee instead? I mean, well, which, I mean that, will, that will mark the Queen's 70-year uh, reign. Well, 
Well, yes, the Patent Jubilee starts in uh, just uh, a few weeks. Sixth of February is obviously uh, Accession Day, which is the, the anniversary of the Queen uh, becoming the monarch, and then you have the uh, anniversary of the coronation in June, which is when the, the formal Platinum Jubilee celebrations will take place uh, around the Commonwealth, and I think people are going to be quite uh, excited to see that. It's, it's an event that's never happened before in uh, uh, the history of the, the Commonwealth, and I think there's only two or three monarchs uh, in world history ever that have had a longer reign than 70 years. So it's certainly uh, an unprecedented and historic event, and I think we, we all look forward to seeing uh, uh, that play out. All the monarchists look forward to that playing out. I have to qualify my support for that. Um, yes, I'll tip my hat to the old lady herself. I'm, I'm sorry, the, son, the sons and heirs are beyond the pale. Okay, not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe give a token to Anne. Yes, I think the Princess Royal does a very good job. All right. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. We'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. That's uh, Nicholas Tam, a life member of and spokesperson for the Australian Monarchist League. Also, many thanks to you who commented through email and thank you to Mike and, of course, Yuki, our producer. Now here's the weather. Mainly cloudy, sunny intervals later with a top temperature of around 21 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh easterlies becoming north easterlies. And the outlook, cool with one or two rain patches tomorrow. Right now it's 18 degrees, relative humidity 83%. It's time for house cleaning before the Lunar New Year. When cleaning windows, be careful. Don't lean on the sashes, as that can make them loose and is very dangerous. If a window won't open or close smoothly, don't use force to open or close it. You can lubricate the hinges instead. Ask a qualified person to inspect your windows according to the standards and procedures set by the building's department. It's 9.30, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. No new COVID cases were found at an overnight lockdown at a residential building on Dongxing Road in Aberdeen. The block was sealed off after a 23-year-old resident tested preliminary positive for the Delta variant. The woman works at the Little Boss Pet Shop in Causeway Bay and had hot pot with friends in Yamate. She also stayed at a Wan Chai Hotel. From today, businesses and individuals affected by the latest social distancing restrictions can apply for the government's fifth round of anti-epidemic funding, which totaled just over $3.5 billion. On Friday, the measures were extended for another two weeks until February 3rd, the third day of the Lunar New Year. More travel restrictions have also been put in place. And New Zealand has sent an Air Force plane to Tonga to make an initial assessment of the damage caused by Saturday's volcanic eruption and tsunami. Communications there are mostly down. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew.
morning to you and welcome to Monday here on Morning Brew. Back again for more. Hong Kong Rugby's CEO, Robbie McRobbie, is going to bring you the all-important, maybe slightly abridged rugby news at 10 minutes past 10. 10.40, our weekly trip to New York to catch up with correspondent, columnist and best-selling author, Tracy Kwan. At 11.40 today, we're going to meet another author, Chris Madden, set in Hong Kong. In the 1960s, his latest novel, Price's Price, is the story of, quote, the unmaking of an immaculate scoundrel, unquote. Oh, there were plenty of those back in the day. But what made Stanley Price so special for Chris? Well, we're going to find out. 12.40 today, with Vietnam bound for our second January date with Bureau Chief at Large, Neil Runciman. Join Neil on Facebook Live as he reports today, live from the seaside.